From ransomware to natural disasters, our data is under constant threat. Yet many organizations are woefully unprepared when catastrophe strikes. This week in our continuing series on creating a disaster recovery plan, we're going to talk about how to keep the DR copy of your data up to date. How you do it will depend on what you're working with and what your RTO and RPO are. If you haven't defined your RTO and RPO, go listen to that episode first. I'll put a link in the show notes. But if you're ready to talk about how to make sure your recovery copy meets your RPO, this is the episode for you. For those of you thinking about recovering the likes of VMware into something like AWS, we also cover the topic in detail towards the end of the episode. If this is your first time listening in, I'm W. Curtis Preston, AKA Mr. Backup. I created this podcast just for people like you. We turn unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the show. I'm W. Curtis Preston, and I have with me a guy that I'm pretty sure might have had a heart attack or two this weekend while watching his local team try to go to the Super Bowl. How, how did that go, Prasanna? Yeah, uh, I just have to. So first off, I used to be a hardcore 49ers fan growing up. Uh, right. During high school, I did change my allegiance to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. Um, but I still do like the Niners. There's still a place in my heart for the Niners. And so this last weekend, I was super excited because the Niners were playing. It was the NFC Championship game, right? If they won the game, then they would get a chance to go to the Super Bowl, which is like the championship for football for those of you who don't watch. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and this, and they were playing the Detroit Lions, who uh, I was actually excited for the lines at the same time like i'm conflicted because it was the first time the lines had made it that far they had never been to the super bowl before and so it was like i was hoping that they would kind of win but at the same time i wasn't because i really wanted the niners to win you know so i was very very conflicted and yeah it was starting to be a very bad game for the Niners. I think the opening series, the Lions got the ball and they marched down the field in four plays and they looked unstoppable even throughout the first quarter. The Niners weren't yeah, it was quite what? It was like, the ball. Was it 21 to 7 at the halftime? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so it, it wasn't look looking great. Yeah, and uh, my cousin and her husband are big Lions fans, and so they were super excited about the Lions, and I was like, <laughs> as long as it's a good game and not a blowout, because honestly, like to me, I hate blowouts, because it's not fun to watch. Yeah. If it's a close game, if it's a good game, even if the Niners had lost, it would have been fine. Yeah, and I was listening to the game uh, while driving around, and I had actually turned it off for halftime, and I was like, oh, I'll come back in a little mm -hmm. bit, right? I, I I wasn't I wasn't thinking, well, I was kind of thinking this game is over. Right? <laughs> like that just for them to be that but but by the time I came back, right, I was talking to somebody else about the game. I was like, boy, that first half and they go, you know they've tied it up, right? I was like, what? <laughs> they tied it up. Like I, I felt like I was away for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. Well, which well, included the halftime. Yeah. And then I came back and it was, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's because the Niners basically had, I think, two touchdowns in the span of like a minute and a half. Right, right. Yeah, and so they ended up with 27 unanswered points and ended up winning the game and going to the Super Bowl. So it will be exciting. And for those of you who aren't football fans, I'm sure the other news that a lot of folks have heard is Taylor Swift finishing up the last day of her Tokyo tour the night before the Super Bowl and whether or not she could make it back to Vegas right, in right. time. And everyone says yes because of the time change. She has something like 36 hours from the time her concert ends to the Super Bowl start. So oh, a time. she'll be back. Yeah. Because, so, you know, yeah. you've got to have Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, so um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, let us get on to the topic. Um, you know, last episode, we talked about basically how to select a recovery site, right? You know, whether you wanted to roll your own, you wanted to use a service, mm-hmm. or you wanted to use the cloud. And we all know where I stand, that if I had my druthers, everyone would use the cloud. Not everybody can use the cloud, um, both from a financial standpoint, a, a, a logistical standpoint, a uh, physics? Laws, of, laws of physics, <laughs> yes, laws of physics standpoint. And, um, but, you know, I, it's clearly my preference, but... Um, so let's talk about, um, you know, there are three different, when we talk about having a DR site, right? So this is, you know, we're actually going to have a place. So let me back up a little bit. There was a time when a, your DR plan often consisted of a box of tapes. There's still a time where your DR plan, it's not, this is not a DR plan, but some people's DR plan consists of a disk array you know, it consists of a data domain box, yep. right? <clears throat> Not a DR plan. Um, the, that's a, that's a, ah! <laughs> you know, um, so you've made the decision to have some kind of site ready to restore into, which you should have done, right? Yep. Um, and then you've also made a decision as to your RTO and RPO. Do you want to remind people what RTO and RPO are? Yeah. So RPO is how much data you're willing to lose in case a disaster strikes. So it might be, hey, I'm willing to lose a day's worth of data. And so I might be backing up once a day. That means that anything within the last day, because I don't have a copy within the last or for some period less than 24 hours, I'm going to lose that amount of data. And I'm okay with that because that's what my business says is acceptable. Um, RTO is recovery time objective, which is how long does it take to recover my application back to a well-known state? And I think it's important to note that it's recover the application, not restore the data alone. Restoring the data is just a part of it. But you right. really want to think from a business perspective of, hey, something happened. How long does it take for it to come back up so I can be back in business? Yeah, as much as uh, those backup people like myself would like to think that backup <laughs> is the center of the universe, it's not, right? There's so much more that goes into a disaster recovery, especially when, if that disaster recovery is being done because of a ransomware or, or other cyber attack. There's all of this work that has to do before you do the actual restore. And an RTO takes all of that into account, right? A true RTO. Um, So uh, we've got, there are three different types of 
uh, sites, and we'll start with probably the most common. What's that? Well, one thing to add is this is orthogonal to what we had talked about in the last episode, which is sort of like on-premises or doing a service or using the cloud, right? So these, so you could take what we're about to talk about and apply to any three of those, any one of those three uh, options that we talked about last episode. You know, not everybody can use orthogonal in a sentence, persona. Did I use it in the correct way, though? <laughs> no, you did. You did. It's just this. I'm like, there you go, throwing away those, throwing out those, you know, big 50-cent college words. <laughs> is, that, is that what they teach you at Car- Carnegie Mellon? Yeah. No, I don't think they did. I think I learned it when I was working. <laughs> So, yeah, so basically, right, uh, you you explained yourself in the end. I was like, is this guy really throwing out orthogonal? <laughs> anyway, um, so, <laughs> all right, so uh, a cold site. So we have cold site, warm site, and hot site. These are, these are the three different ways that you can prepare or you, you can have a disaster recovery site ready. And a cold site is, you know, I, I think they're kind of self-explanatory, Um and that is that a cold site, there is no recovery done prior to, um, you know, prior to a recovery. Basically, you've got a bunch of equipment sitting there ready to be recovered. And then when you declare the disaster, now the restore begins, right? Um, can you can you think of any other? I, I was going to ask for cold. Is there a spectrum? I know when you just explained it, you said the equipment is there, but none of the recovery has happened before. Could you have sort of like the far extreme of cold be, hey, I don't even have equipment. I have a data center, but I now need to procure the equipment. Or would you say that's, that not that's a site. really not data? Okay. That's not a site. That's a building. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think you know you have to have planned for the DR in advance. You've configured your okay. site. If you haven't procured your equipment in advance, that's not really a DR site at okay. all. That's you know, okay, that's not a good idea. You have the equipment in place or the infrastructure in place, um, but you just haven't started the recovery process. So there isn't a cop. But okay, so now my I'm, next question. I'm specific. I'm specifically using the word restore here. Okay. Because recovery might be more encompassing than the restore. You haven't okay. started the actual copying of the backup to the to the okay. district. But the backup sure. could exist on the D, at the DR site already. Right. Okay. Hopefully it hopefully it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that uh, I'm going through yeah. those. And, and now we're gonna swing way to the I'm gonna do this in sort of not I'm going to swing way to the other side, and that is a hot site. Do you want to talk about what a hot site is? Yeah, a hot site is basically you. So you just talked about cold. Hot is if you take the exact opposite of everything you just said. That is <laughs> yeah. what a hot site is. So everything is up. It's ready. Your app, your data has already been restored. And so when you actually need to fail over to your recovery site, it's literally just like, Fail over, you're done. You don't have to move any data. It's all ready. It's right. available. It's good to go. Yeah, it might be a few minutes behind, depending on. It most likely will be a few minutes behind, yeah. depending on whatever technology you're using to to get the data over there. But the idea is that this is for, 
environments that, well, number one, they can afford it. And number two, they can justify it. Yeah. They can say, listen, we're losing $20 million a minute when we are down. And therefore, the fact that it only it costs us $50 million to create this site, um, we can't afford the downtime. And so they want to be able to instantly come back up. The, the only companies that I think that, that justify this type of hot site, generally speaking, financial. are things like financial, yeah, financial trading firms, right? And banks yeah. and certain, certain other organizations. You Which, might, I, I think you might, if you were like, I think like Amazon, right? Yeah. Amazon probably has some hot sites yeah. for e-commerce, certain yeah. parts of their organ. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah. Anybody that's like hardcore e-commerce and they could very easily say when we're down for an hour, we, we lose this many millions of dollars. Right. You yeah. can justify the cost of doing it that way. Yeah. Now, would you say that for a hot site, it's most common that people are using, say, a database level replication to their DR site or that they are probably using array level replication to get the data over there to have it ready so it can You're be You're jumping up. ahead. You're jumping okay. ahead. <laughs> okay. Your comment, Your Honor, I request that his comments be stricken from the record. <laughs> okay, I will wait then. Okay. All right. Uh, no, always no, trying to be question. smarter than the class, Mr. <laughs> Orthogonal. <laughs> so uh, one other question about the hot site. Um, so we talked about the data is there and everything's available. Uh, I'm also, uh, does that also assume that the application is also there and ready to go? Yeah, or I mean, the you- idea is that it's, 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 it's as ready to go as it can be. Okay. Right. I mean, generally speaking, what we're talking about is that we're keeping the the copy of the data and any applications that need to be there, right? Everything is being kept up to date so that you can literally just push a button and you're you're done, right? It's almost ideally you would have a clone of your production in the DR site is what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the middle between those two extremes is what we call a warm site. And um, I would describe that again as being between the, between those two things. So you have you have, <laughs> you have a copy of your data restored and being kept ready, but it's way behind when compared to the concept of a hot site. It might be a day behind. It might be an hour behind. It might be you know it just depends on whatever technology that you're using to keep it up to date. But it's it's being kept up to date, um, you know, very regularly. It's just it's farther behind than what a hot site would have. And this is you're going to use this when, uh, you know, if and when you decide that if you're going to use this when your RPO calls for that, your RPO is measured in a day, you don't need a hot site. Your RP, if your RPO is measured even in, say, several hours, you don't need a hot site. You, you can meet that concept. And, and the reason why this matters is that it dictates what technologies basically that you're forced to use, which you were hinting at earlier and we're going to cover next. Um, it, it dictates what technologies you're able to use. Yeah. Now, before we jump to technologies, my question on your definition for warm site, you said yeah. that 
the data has been restored, but to a older point in time, if you will, or a older version of that data. Is that correct? Well, to yeah, it's basically okay. it's it's restored to the most recent version of the data that you have in your backup system. And remember, when I say backup system, I'm I'm very broad when I use yeah, that term. Yeah. Right. So and it, so it's restored though to a production. Sorry, to some production type system that you can then work off of. Oh yeah, I mean th okay. this is basically the only difference between well. The only difference between a cold, warm, and hot site is where the backup is in this yeah. continuum, right? Yeah. All three of them should have hardware that is sufficient to take over for the production environment, yeah. right? And so the data sitting on is, yeah, Yeah, and the, the cold one, no restore has been done. The hot one, the restore has 100% been done and it's being kept up, you know, right to date. And then we have this warm that's warm. in the middle <laughs> where you might have to do an additional... There might be an additional backup that's done that hasn't yet been incrementally restored when you declare the disaster. So there might be there might be both. Well, there will be a longer RTO and RPO as a result. Yeah. And last question. Wait, what was my question? Uh, hot, warm. Oh. And we're also not saying that you must pick one type, either a hot, warm, or cold, for all your applications in your environment, right? It's going to depend on the application in your environment, which one you pick. And so it will be a mix mash in most companies. Yeah, you, you will most likely pick, you will most likely create recovery groups, right? Uh, you know, consistency groups of applications that you're going to keep, you know, some you're going to do hot, some, you know, you might not be able to afford to do any hot, but you might only do one application hot, whatever that application is for you. You might do that one hot. The other one you might do warm and then you might do some, you might do the vast majority of them cold. Let's say yep. your payroll system, right? Might be cold. The application that runs your company <laughs> tends to be either hot or warm, right? Yeah. Right. What, whatever your company does, or your, um, if you're a you know a governmental organization, think about the function of your organization and what is that thing, right? Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind was if you're the building department, um, your job is to issue building permits. If nobody gets any building permits for a few days, the world's not going to end. Yeah. So you might have an RPO or you might have an RTO okay. of a few days. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Can you think of a good example of a, um, I, well, I can't think of a good governmental example. Well, one that will probably require a hot site is like the TSA, right? Or Homeland Security, right? Where those databases, because they're constantly being used and checked as people are flying and other aspects, those probably Good need to be on a hot site. Yeah, you, we we want the whole we want that whole system <laughs> to be available all the time, and we know how well things go when when the entire world shuts down, when the, when the transportation <laughs> shuts down. It takes yeah. days days for them to get back. Um, so let's talk about the different ways uh, that we can that we can do this. Right? Th there's basically the question is: Are we going to replicate 
the primary data or are we going to replicate the backups? The, this is these are kind of the two very broad ways. And if someone is leaning more towards hot and very warm, where which method would you think that they would go for? They would probably be replicating the production data. Yeah. You want to talk about the different ways that you might do that? Yeah. So there are different ways depending on the application, what your recovery situations look like. Uh, if you are using a database, you could potentially replicate at a database level and rely on that to send over each transaction to the other side and write it down. And this is where you get to sort of the near zero RTO and RPO. You could look at array level replication where go back and listen to those episodes where we talk about all the different flavors, but you can use array level replication to replicate data either as near zero as possible or with some amount of lag. There's also operating system level. So hypervisor level replication right. too, that you should take into consideration, right. like replicating at a VM level from one system to another. Yeah. There, and and another one that often gets forgotten is, is software-based replication. Generally, what we're talking about here is software that virtualizes storage. There are a number of products that do that, uh, and they allow you to use disparate types of arrays and things like that. So there's software-based volume management, I would call it, um, yeah. or disk virtualization software. I don't know what category that, that all is. Logical volume managers? Yeah, logical volume managers. Yeah, that would be the right term to use there. Um, the, I mean, it's not as big of a category as the disk-based folks, yeah. but, uh, but there are plenty of folks, some of which we've yeah. had on the podcast, plenty of companies who do quite a bit of business replicating yeah. data at the block level, but not at the disk array yeah. level. Or you could think of it as ZFS as well, right? Yeah, right. ZFS is sort of a, ZFS is like, it's like Emacs, like Emacs, the editor that thinks it's an operating system. ZFS is like everything. It's a file yeah. system. It's a volume manager. It's 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 a lot of things. And yes, you can do ZFS based replication as well. Yeah. Um, so that there are a variety of ways that you can replicate the data, the application. It and the more you want to get to an RPO of zero, the more you're going to look at those methods. Um, and the, the more your, your cost will also be higher too. So just something exactly because you're still going to have your backup system. So you're going to yeah. be paying for both a backup system and a DR system for yeah. the purposes of, of DR. Um, the I think the um, more common thing today, which wasn't common, wasn't even possible, <laughs> not that long ago. And that was the idea of replicating backups for the purposes of DR. Um, if we go all the way back to, you know, the first time I really thought about this was when I was introduced to the idea of deduplication, which is now mm -hmm. an idea that's now over 20 years old. It's just funny that I think I still think of it as a new <laughs> idea because <laughs> I remember when it was new to me. But because of dedupe, we're able it, it it made backup it made replication of backups possible, and because we can replicate backups, we could get backups from here to there, and there could be virtually anywhere, including the cloud. And then, since we've got the backups available in this alternate location, 
we could then use them to essentially restore in advance yep. the environment that we're restoring to. Does that yep. sound about right? Yeah. So you could stage it and have it all ready to go before you actually need to fail over. Right. Then the nice thing about using your backup system to replicate is, like you said, a lot of the times it's deduplicated. So you're getting the savings over the wire. Also, when you're replicating production workloads, like when you talk about a hot site, you're usually replicating almost every single transaction or a lot of transactions at once, which if you're having sort of overwrites or things going out of date, like that doesn't necessarily make sense to always replicate everything over. And right. so taking a fixed point in time, a backup, say, even if you did it every four hours or six hours and replicating it over, you get a lot of the space savings and network efficiencies. Right. Um, and whether you're replicating the primary data or the backup data, these methods could still be used for any of these for you yeah. know cold, hot, or warm. Generally speaking, if you're hot, you're going to be doing primary. You, you know, I, I don't think you could really do... No, you couldn't do backup replication and do a hot site, I don't think. You can really only do yeah. a warm site or a cold site, right? Yeah. But the idea here is that by replicating backups, we've got the backups ready at the recovery site. So again, if your site is a cloud site or if it's you know a service center where you're paying for them to have a DR site ready for you, the beauty of replicating backups is that you have your, repli you have your backups there ready to go when it's time to do the, the DR. Yeah. And if you want to go through the trouble, if you've got a product that is capable of doing this, you could even do a warm site and you could basically do, uh, you know, you do this restore in advance so that when it's time to press the button, you might have to do one additional incremental restore um, do you want to, I keep using, I've used that term a couple of times in this episode. Do you want to define what an incremental restore is? Yeah. An incremental restore is, so when you think about restoring data, you want to get back to a point in time. Now, if mm -hmm. you're doing a one-off restore, you have to restore all the data and that could take quite a while. But if you're doing incremental restore, you sort of do that one large restore, and then you're restoring the data incrementally. So each one is smaller and smaller than the original. So the amount of time, right, the RTO is less for you to do, get back to a more recent point in time than it was trying to restore all the data in one go. Yeah, it's basically the restore uh, equivalent to an incremental backup, right? Backup. An incremental yeah. backup backs up the changes that have occurred since the last time we did this. This just restores those changes and it and makes it incredibly efficient um, for this idea. You know, earlier you said you could do it every four hours. You know, I remember, you know, when I worked at Druva, some people would do it every hour, right? So you do a backup. You know, the idea of doing a backup every hour, your backup, if it's done well, your backup should only take a couple of minutes. Yeah. Then you got to replicate the backup and then that incremental restore should only take a couple of minutes, right? Yeah. Um, the more... The more often you do it, the more often you will be probably replicating some duplicated data. You talked about yeah. that. If you have a single record that gets changed multiple times, you'll end up replicating that. You know, so you've, you've got to just take that into account um, yeah. and 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 make sure you're meeting your RPO needs. I have a practical question for you. Yeah, in your experience in the world of actually administering backup systems and DR systems and things like that. 
Where do most people land? Do you often see them using their backup systems for warm sites for recovering to for keeping their warm sites up to date? Do you tend to find because I know we talked earlier about okay for hot sites it probably never makes sense to really use your backup systems for keeping yeah, the hot so, site up to date? My answer will probably be kind of depressing. Um, I don't think most people do the things we're talking about in this episode, right? Just like a lot of the things that we talk about, and, and I, I'm sure you, listener, are the, <laughs> are, the are, are the opposite. You know why? Because you're listening to this <laughs> podcast. But I, I think, you know, it's one of those things where, like, you know, backup in DR, it, it just goes ignored so many times. Yeah. I'd like to think that because of what's happened in ransomware, that maybe people get better. But I think most people don't have a solid DR plan, period, let alone, um, you know, um, you know, a, 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 and if they do have one, it's probably using a cold site because they can't afford the cost uh, and the site. management cost of doing a warm site or a hot site. Or, um, or, or I would say that maybe they never thought about using a backup system for keeping their warm site up to date. Like, I don't think it's obvious because typically, right, storage and backup teams live separately, right? People do things differently. So maybe it was never thought of, especially with improvements to backup systems and replication and other things that, hey, I could potentially use my backup system to sort of stage my restore or my DR site. Yeah, well, it also comes from the fact that many backup systems, if not most backup systems, don't understand the concept of an incremental restore. Yeah. So if you can't do an incremental restore, you really can't use your backup system to, to, to create a warm do. site, right? Um, you have to be able to do that because you can't be restoring the entire environment, you know, every few hours, right? It's yeah. just not going to logistically work out. Um, so, I, yeah, so I'd say... Yeah. The vast majority of people don't have a solid DR plan when I when I <laughs> run into them. And those that do have a solid DR plan for cost reasons, they have a cold site. And you're right, probably for the reasons that I just mentioned, um, maybe the reason they they haven't thought of a warm site uh, or, or using their backups to, to create a warm site is that either they either haven't thought about it or their backup system can't do it. Yeah. Um, so before we uh, finish up here, I want to talk about this idea of um, using, because I am a big fan of the cloud, but I don't think, you know, in VMware slash Broadcom, uh, I don't think, or it's still the biggest, uh, you know, virtualization platform out there. And... I don't think that you necessarily have to use VMware cloud to restore VMware. I think it's okay to restore VMware into uh, something like AWS, but what's the problem with that? So th at least for my understanding of folks, right? One of the challenges, well, there are two challenges. One is when you are restoring a VMware image into AWS, there is a conversion process that happens because they are different. Right. Right. And now you could do some optimizations. And I know AWS has done a bunch of optimizations on their side as well to reduce the amount of time it does to do the conversion. But not everything will is always guaranteed to work. 
after you convert it into AWS. So make sure you test whatever VMware image you have on premises to make sure it will actually boot and run in the cloud because not everything will be supported. So that's kind of- You mentioned two problems. Yeah. So the second problem is people like VMware on-premises because they have the entire ecosystem, right? Your management tools, Mm -hmm. if you like vCenter, right? You know how to do everything. When you go to the cloud, now I have to learn AWS's console and how to manage things. And if I'm a VMware admin, I don't know how all that works. And my backup tools may not integrate the same way in the cloud in AWS as it did on-premises. So how do I now start protecting it? How do I now start to manage it? Do my applications all work the same? All of that becomes a little bit more challenging. Yeah. So let's talk about those 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 two yeah. things. So the first is that that conversion process does need to happen. The what the most common method that people use is to use the the VMware P two V conversion process, right? So, or I'm sorry, the they use the AWS um, you know conversion process to import essentially a server into a VM. And the problem with that, it it works, but it is a 100% like linear timeframe in terms of how long it's going to take to import, especially a large VM into that environment. So converting a VMware image directly through the AWS tools, uh, and you're right, they've, they've made some improvements in terms of making it faster, but it's still... It's going to be uh, 100% tied to how big the VM is. There are other ways to basically surgically alter, if you will, the image to make it to make it run in AWS. And those methods can be much quicker because they don't have to run every gigabyte through that conversion process. It's so not dependent it, on it's the just size. A matter of, yeah. yeah, it's it, it's a matter of talking to your different you know, to your backup tool, if they don't know how to do that, then there are other, yeah. other backup tools that are able to do that. And, um, but that is that, that, there is that challenge of moving a VMware environment into AWS uh, from a just getting it done perspective. I will say it is possible to do it in a very short period of time, as long as you're using the right tools. And then that second one, yes, you need <laughs> to uh, be aware of, of, the fact that you're now running in a, in a totally separate environment. And, and I know we talked about this a couple episodes ago where, you know, one of my things is to make sure that the automation of the backups is one of the first things that you do. Get Make sure that you're now backing up your environment. You're like, oh, we're only going to be here for a day or so. I don't care. I don't care if you're only going to be there for an hour or so. Bad things happen. Make sure you're backing that, that uh, stuff up because also you might be wrong, right? You might be there for a while and bad things happen. My, my, um, you know, I, 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 I see myself as an optimist, but sometimes when it comes to backup and recovery, I'm like a pessimist. I'm like, you know, the, the, the chances that something bad's going to happen while you're running in the cloud, I think are, you know, directly proportional to how bad your, um, your backup environment of mm-hmm. it is. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, if you've got no backups, then you know bad things could happen, and you know yeah. you will not be happy when that happens. Um, any final thoughts on updating? Well, you know, well, just for that last point where we talked about running a VMware image in the cloud, 
right? I think this goes back to the last episode where maybe you, instead of trying to do it yourself, you look at a managed service provider, right? Someone else who has the experience that you can then just say, hey, you deal with this for me and you don't have to worry about it. And you know, that's a great teaser for next week's episode, but I know you didn't mean to do that. No, I... (laughs) Once again, you're just ahead of the class. I don't even know what we're talking about next week. What are we talking about next week, Curtis? Software or service. Oh, there we go. (laughs) So once again, you're always, you know, just trying to get ahead of the class. I do have one question, which I don't think we covered. Uh, Okay. So for the warm site, purpose-built backup appliance vendors say that you can... Uh instantly access your data off of the target system and then do mm-hmm. things like uh, storage vMotion or something else to move your VM from there to your production system. Yep. Do you consider that a warm site or is that a cold site masquerading as a warm site? It's none of the things. Um, because what we're talking about here is a full site. Um being able to like we're talking about a disaster yeah. right you've lost your entire data center depending on how you define a disaster you know we've got one server and it's on fire that's a disaster sure um but generally what we're talking about here is we lost our building or we got a ransomware attack and our entire environment down is down we need to restore all of it over there running your uh, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of the concept of instant recovery, being able to run your AVM or two out of your backups is no substitute for having a DR site, yeah. right? So that's a great question. And the answer is it's none of the above because okay. it's not really designed to do that. Okay. Thank you. I'm sure other backup folks may have that same question pop to mind. So yeah, that's a, that's a great question for us to end up on. Well, uh, thanks for having the conversation again. No, it was a blast, Curtis. Hot. And uh, hope. I want ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Ice cream. Ice cream. Um, Now you got me thinking about ice cream. Why are you doing that? (laughs) All right. Well, uh, folks, I hope that you learned something from this episode and maybe it jogs some ideas in your head on things that you could do, improvements that you could make in your DR plan, like having a DR plan, <laughs> having a DR site. Uh, and maybe this idea of a warm site, of using your backups to uh, incrementally restore that, uh, you know, this is where the cloud is really comes into it because you can have that restored copy ready to go and you're only paying for the storage aspect. You're not paying for the compute until you declare an actual disaster or do a a full DR test. So this is why I'm such a huge fan of the cloud because you could do that. You can only do that in the cloud. No, the cloud is not, you know, the end all (laughs) be all and the solution to all problems, but man, the DR is the killer app uh, for the cloud. So uh, I hope you learned a thing or two, and that is a wrap. The Backup Wrap-Up is written, recorded, and produced by me, W. Curtis Preston. If you need backup or DR consulting, content generation, or expert witness work, check out BackupCentral.com. You can also find links from my O'Reilly books on the same website. 
Remember, this is an independent podcast, and any opinions that you hear are those of the speaker and not necessarily an employer. Thanks for listening.